Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. What's up, you guys? Roger Jessup here with the Utah House Doctors. So you just bought your nice new house, and what happens when something goes wrong or something breaks? We have you covered. We have vetted several contractors, whether it be from a break in your sprinkler lines or your kid punched a hole in the wall and you just need a handyman. You have access to these people by following our page, and these are people that we know and trust. Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I would just like to give a personal thank you to everybody who has left us a review. They are so kind. I seriously get like teared up when I read them. Um, one of my most current favorites is from a mom. She says that our podcast came out about when her first baby was born and she'd listen to our episodes on every walk that she'd go on. And she felt like she had like her best friends walking with her. So I just want to let you guys know that um, we've had a lot of people say that we feel like they feel like we are their friends. And I want you guys to know that we think about you guys all the time as our listeners. And we, I totally feel like you're our friends as well. So I just want to thank you for leaving us a review and let you know it is so helpful for us and our podcast success when you do leave us a kind review. So Thank you. Um, if you are willing to leave us one, you just go to search Find the Magic on Apple Podcasts, and then you scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review, and then you make sure you push send after you leave the review and give us a rating. Thank you so, so much, and hope you have a beautiful day. Hey, everybody. Caitlin here, and I'm with Tara Lynn. And we have a special guest on the show today, Claire Canfield. Claire, we are so excited to have you with us today. Excited to be here. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, we're stoked. So um, I know Claire. So he was my professor at Utah State University. Um, he teaches in the communication studies program, which is where what I graduated in. And he is seriously the best. Um, I know that since I graduated, he has done a TED Talk. And I think it was 2018, right? Uh, 2016, fall of 2016. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's been a while. <laughs> I know that you like to see if you can just make two years disappear, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's been a little while. Okay. Okay. So I know that since then, cause I've listened to it, but that was after I had graduated and I had a lot of friends still on campus and you were like a celebrity. I mean, everybody in the communication studies program knew and loved you before, but then I feel like I heard across campus, like everybody was like, Claire Campbell, did you hear about his talk? <laughs> so um, now I know that you, everybody knows how amazing you are. Um, so yeah, Claire kind of focuses on a lot of communication things, but one of the biggest things that I learned from him was communication and conflict. Um, so anyway, I'm really excited to have him on the show today. And I feel like he can share a lot of great tips and tools for you, our listeners, that I really feel like can benefit us in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces. Um, so I'm really excited to have him on the show. And before we delve in, um, I'd love, Claire, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners, that'd be awesome. Sure, Kayla. That was a very gracious and, and kind introduction. I, 
I got into conflict. It is something that I really love and am passionate about. Um, and I got into it because I was just really terrible at it. Um, I've, been, <laughs> I've, been, I've been married for over 20 years and early on in my marriage um, coincided with early on in my college career. I took a communication studies course and learned a little bit about conflict and conflict styles, right? Like accommodating and competing and compromising and avoiding it. And I found very clearly I was an avoider. I was the avoider. Like I had all of the tools, all of the tricks to avoid all the conflicts in my life. I didn't talk about them. I didn't want to look at them. They made me really uncomfortable. And, and I understand why um, I, I was the way it, that I was, but it wasn't working very well. And I could see, wow, if, if I'm gonna have the kind of relationships I want in my life, if they're gonna be healthy, I'm gonna have to figure out this. And um, over, over the more than 20 years, we've had uh, three little girls together. Uh, we're currently living in Perry, Utah, which is a nice little um, farming community in Northern Utah, a lot of peach tree um, groves around here. I love the fall. <laughs> we get to, you know, have peach cobbler, peach shakes. I make this incredible peach baked peach dish that oh, mm -hmm. just yeah, just it'll change your life. Ooh, um, I need that. <laughs> so I love living here. Can you share the recipe with us, and we'll actually include it, or is it like a proprietary? proprietary? No, I'll share it with you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll share. It. It's too good. It's too good not not to not to share it and give it out. Hey, yeah. listeners, so, we'll put in our email <laughs> on our website. That's awesome. <laughs> Sounds good. People may want to tune in on this <laughs> on, on this podcast just for the peach recipe. <laughs> we don't want to listen to all that conflict stuff, but <laughs> just how to bake peaches. Um, so I really enjoy living here and riding my motorcycle through the gorgeous canyon up to Logan, where where I work. Um, I've been in Utah State for about six years. I've been teaching for about 20 years and I, I really love it there. I feel like I'm home and I've got incredible supportive colleagues and I like being in Utah. I, I love being outdoors and backpacking is a real passion of mine. I love being up in the mountains and, and, and trekking. So that's a little bit about me. Perfect. Um, oh, schooling. I, I, I did my undergraduate at Weber State University, and then I did my master's at the University of Montana in Missoula, beautiful area. And then I did some graduate studies at the University of Utah, where I did a graduate certificate in conflict management and trained to be a, a mediator. So I've been working at this conflict stuff for a while, and I'm, I'm starting to figure a couple of things out. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, sweet. Well, I would love to kind of delve with that, kind of delve into your approach to conflict, because I think that is one of the, I think that's a big tool for how we can approach conflict a little bit better. Um, I wanted to just read, this is a quote from you, and I really like it. You say, I don't know anyone who doesn't experience significant moments and stretches of stress and conflict in their own personal lives, particularly in relationships that matter most to them. And if they can have the skills and belief that their ability to work through that is there, it's going to change the overall quality of not only their relationships, but also their life. And I love that because our relationships are our life. And if we can better our ability, because I feel like all of us know that communication is important, but communication and conflict is where communication actually is 
kind of hard. And because of what you said, a lot of times it involves the relationships that are closest to us. So I would love to um, just kind of hear from you. What are some tips or tools that you feel like are really helpful in helping us approach communication in conflict? Yeah, well, I, I like that part of your question, Caitlin, where you said, how do we approach conflict? Because how we approach conflict is how we're going to do our conflict. And the, the approach is something we don't often think about. And most people, when they're approaching conflict, are approaching it with a sense of apprehension, fear, nervousness, doubt. Like there are so many strong emotions involved with recognizing, oh, I'm about to be in conflict, or I, I sense that I'm in conflict. In fact, I, I have people oftentimes do a little exercise to help them understand something about the way they approach conflict that I found really useful. And I, I think you might've done this with me, Caitlin. I ask people to consider, maybe think about the last conflict they've been in, or just uh, maybe an important one that they've experienced, and then notice you know, as they think about it, how are, their, how are they feeling? What are their thoughts? And then write a metaphor to describe what conflict is like. And I've gathered thousands of people's metaphors, right? Um, I, I saw you thinking there a little bit. Um, what, was the, what was the metaphor that came to mind? Oftentimes it comes really quickly for people. Um, did you notice something coming to mind? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. Into space, thinking about that. Um, yeah. For me, it feels like a squeeze in my heart. So I was picturing like two rock mm. walls kind of like squeezing in on me a little bit. That's the metaphor I was thinking that's of. That's a good Oh, one. that's such a good metaphor, it's right? Tight. Like I feel kind of tight. Like I can't, can't breathe quite all the way. Yeah. yeah. And it's good because that, that metaphor starts to really give some insight into what's going on for you. Right. So you mentioned you feel pressure, you feel squeezed. I'm guessing physiologically, you experience some things like that. Like yeah. it's not uncommon for people to have their respiratory rate change, their heart rate change. Some people will get so much energy, their hands will quiver, cry and control it. Like there are a lot of things that people can experience in their body when they're approaching it. And so your metaphor kind of speaks to that. Talk more about kind of how that metaphor captures what conflict is like for you. Mm. Well, Claire, can I just say, I am loving this. I'm obsessed with anytime I feel an emotion, like to get really specific about what it is. But yeah, yeah I actually, okay, I'm picturing myself in the last bigger conflict I had and it feels like a squeeze in from the side. I'm kind of a, I, I'm a person who really values freedom. Like my energy is like upward and out and I like to be free and it makes me feel not free and I'm being pushed in and also really heavy. Like I can feel like my shoulders go down, like, I just don't even want to be myself. Like, I just want to sit here like a stone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a, that's such a, a, a beautifully useful metaphor, right? Because it's, it's describing in a way that you can't just directly say, like, a lot of people know conflict isn't inherently negative. Like we've all been taught, well, conflict is, is useful. It helps you get through issues. It doesn't have to be bad. But yet if it feels like your heart is being squeezed and you're feeling weight and heaviness, 
none of that stuff matters, right? Like all those nice ideas of how like conflict is fine. It's good. It's all right. It's like, no, no, it feels like, it feels like I'm being squeezed. Just make it stop, right? And there have been times in a conflict where I'm like, this isn't working in my mind. Like I'm using these yeah. tools that I'm supposed to work and they're not working. And then I get mad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This is, this isn't working. Yes. And that's the disconnect. And that's the thing that I've had to wrestle with for a while. Right. Because I'm in the business of teaching people how to deal with conflict. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that what I would do is I'll just show up in this podcast or I'll show up to class and I'm going to teach people these tricks, uh, these tips, right? Here's how you communicate here's what you say, but you yourself know that stuff, but you can't do it because you feel like you're being squeezed. (laughs) Uh, It reminds me a little bit of of like when I was growing up, I I grew up in a a really small community in central Utah, Spring City, uh, population 800. And I lived a mile and a half outside of town. I had like five neighbors within a square mile Mm -hmm. and we were on five acres we had what you would refer to as like a gentleman's farm, right? We, we always had a, a couple of pigs, a cow, a huge garden. We always had chickens. Um, I, the first time I ever bought eggs in a store was when I was in college. It was the strangest experience, right? Because my whole life I had gotten farm fresh eggs, right? And it was my job growing up to take care of the chickens, water them, feed them every day, gather the eggs, But the worst part of my job was every summer I would have to muck out the chicken coop because there's all these chickens, right? And a year's worth of chicken stuff, right? Starts to build up in this chicken coop to the point where the door is, you can't open it, right? And you're almost like going up this hill of chicken stuff. So I would have to muck all of that out into a wheelbarrow and take it and we'd use it to like fertilize our, our, our garden. I hated that job so much that I would avoid it all summer. I would give excuses. I, I would find any way possible to not do it. I can still remember the smell of what it's like as, as you're mucking out the chicken coop, right? So imagine if you will, if my dad came up to me one day and was like, hey, Claire, I've got these great tools that are going to make it so much easier for you to muck out the chicken coop. I've got this new pitchfork and this very specific technique that's going to help you, you know, get the most chicken stuff into the wheelbarrow and balance it correctly so that it doesn't tip over because that's happened to me before. And like, uh, this is going to be so much easier. I don't want to hear it. I do not want to hear all about your skills and your tools that you're going to give me to do the job better that I don't want to do. I don't want to do it. Right. And so when people come to me and they're like, tell me how to do conflict differently, I can hand you a whole bunch of skills and tools to do it. But if you don't want to, because it feels like you're being squeezed, what good is that? Right. And so for me, I've, I've been met with the reality that it's not just about learning a couple of skills, but it's about changing our entire approach to what conflict is. Mm. Because until you do that, you're not going to benefit from anything that you already know. You just told me, I know 
I'm supposed to say stuff. I know I'm supposed to handle this differently. This isn't working, but yet I'm still doing the same thing I've always done and I am stuck. Mm -hmm. And we see patterns of behavior in conflict that just repeat themselves over and over again. I bet you can almost predict how those conflicts are going to go when you start feeling squoze, right? It's like, okay, they're going to they're going to approach me and say, we got to talk about stuff and I'm going to get a little defensive. Right. And then they're going to, you know, try to explain it. And then I'll be a little passive aggressive and then they're going to yell and then I'll start to cry. And then we'll both <laughs> leave the room, <laughs> slam doors, not talk about it for two hours. Then we'll come back and pretend like it never happened. Right? Like these, I'm not saying that's how it works for you, but these are the kinds of patterns that people fall into that are so repetitive, mm -hmm. so predictable that we can almost see ourselves going through it before it's even happened. And that really concerns me because I know people are doing the very best they can, but how are you supposed to do it differently when it feels like your heart is being squoze to death? Yeah, so great point. So my, my approach is to help people see conflict differently, to see that it actually has the potential for beauty. And, and I know that that's, to some people really difficult to swallow <laughs> at first, right? You can't call it that, right? For most people, it's negative and painful. And there's a reason for that. We've had experiences that bring us to that place that makes us feel that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. And we can learn to approach it differently, but it's not gonna be just from a couple of skills that I teach you, right? Mm -hmm. That makes total sense to me. I love it. Yeah. Um, I love that because I feel like in the class that I took from you, it was like week after week, I feel like we just focused on how we look at conflict and looking, so like focusing on ourselves of, because I think you're right. And I, I, we all know this, that it's like, we can't change anyone else. So how are we looking at conflict? And it starts there and how we're feeling and how can we change, change that? Cause that's where it starts. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and you're, you're reflecting something really important about how we can see conflict differently and start to approach it differently. You said, what is it about for me? And what, what do I, you mentioned like looking within yourself, the place that conflict starts is within ourselves because conflict is always a reflection of what we care most about. Have, have either of you, um, read Harry Potter, watch the movies. Um, yes. So okay. Okay. So many times. You're talking to the right people. <laughs> okay. I found the people. So do you remember when Harry was using his invisibility cloak to go into the restricted section of the library? Yes. Because you know he was trying to find some information and and in comes the caretaker and he's afraid he's going to get caught. So he throws the invisibility cloak back on sneaks out of the library and hides in a room. And when he goes into that room, he sees a big mirror right? and he walks up to it and he looks into it. And what does he see? He sees what he wants most, which is his family. Yeah. He sees his parents, his dead parents. I'm sorry if that was a spoiler alert. For anyone. <laughs> like it. <laughs> Go watch Harry Potter if anybody has <laughs> It, or at least for sure read it that's what i yeah. have I mean, the first so, one. that's not even yeah. Yeah. parents and he's you know he was orphaned as an as an infant and more than anything he desires right that that family and so he's transfixed by it 
he's amazed by it. So he rushes back and gets his best friend, Ron, and brings him and says, you have to look at this. And Ron looks in the mirror. And what does he see? Is it him winning the Quidditch Cup? Yeah, he's he's holding up the Quidditch Cup and he's best boy or head boy or whatever, right? And because he's seeing what he desires most, there's actually writing above the mirror of Erised. And it's Erised and Wuxi on, I, I can't remember exactly, but what it is is actually written backwards because when you look in a mirror, it flips the image. If you've ever held up something in front of a mirror, you can't read it because it flips it. And the language above it is, is reversed. If you read it backwards, it says, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. The mirror of Erised is desire flipped backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Claire. Cool. I love it. <laughs> I never knew this and I'm a Harry Potter freak. <laughs> well, a little golden nugget there for you. <laughs> So the mirror of Erised or the mirror of desire is going to reflect to us, not our face, but our heart's desire. That's what conflict does. If you look at your conflict, it's not because you're broken or somebody else needs to change or like all of the things that we often think about conflict is that makes it feel so negative to us. That's not what it is. We just have a hard time seeing it because it gets flipped. What we're seeing is our heart's desire, the things we care about most. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first things I was doing when I started studying conflict was trying to figure out not to have it anymore. Like, how do I get rid of it in my life? <laughs> <laughs> because again, I was a big avoider and I thought, okay, if I, if I learn enough about it, I'll find a way that I don't have to have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I did discover it. It's if, if you want to know, are you interested? Yes. <laughs> There's a way for you never to have any conflict ever. I guarantee it. All you have to do is stop caring about everything, including yourself. If you do not care about things, you will not have any conflict mm. because nothing matters to you. Conflict always starts with what you care about. Mm. And when, when we can see that, then we start to see... Well, there's possibility here then, right? Conflict isn't this problem that I need to get past so things will be better. Conflict is trying to show me what I care about, what's important, what's not working. And when I can look inwards and start to see, wow, all my conflict is connected to my values and my relationship and my identity and the way I want to be in the world, then conflict starts to become the possibility and the avenue and the path that can get us to the place where we are more in alignment with our values. It's not a problem. It's a solution. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's evidence that you care, that you're alive. It's like fear. I maybe just need to change my lens. It's like fear. I've for a while, I hated fear so much and I wanted to avoid it until I changed the lens of fear means that I'm living, that I'm alive. And now when I feel fear, I, I immediately have this positive response of yeah. this means I'm like living how I want to live, that I'm doing things that make me scared and yeah. it changed my way of looking at fear. So maybe, I mean, just one little nugget I'm getting from this that you're saying is that I think is going to help me. If I feel conflict, I can immediately know if this means I care. Mm -hmm. 
it means yeah. I have something meaningful, right? Because if yes. I didn't care, I wouldn't. So just that alone, I think is, I can already feel my lens changing yeah. about conflict. It's great. And, and fear is a good example of, you know, something that we can start to understand differently in conflict too, because that's a really common emotion for people to feel in conflict. Many people don't approach and don't say things because they fear they're going to make it worse. Mm. They fear, right, that I'm not going to get what I want. Fear is an emotion that's really useful. Um, I, I worry a little bit when I see those trucks that, that have the no fear written on the back of it. I'm like, please fear some things. Right? <laughs> a little bit. Like, please don't live your life with like, hold my beer and watch this, right? While, <laughs> because if you don't have any fear, you have the potential to put really important things at risk. Fear is an emotion that is designed to tell us that what we care about most is at risk right? Fear is always attached to something we care about. And that's why it's so commonly experienced in conflict because, well, why do you fear that thing? Because you might lose your life. Why do you fear lions? Because they might kill you, right? It, it's normal to fear <laughs> for, for your life if you care about it. And it's normal to fear that if you engage in conflict in your relationships, it's no, it, that's telling you, I care about this relationship or I care about something that's happening here that is at risk or that I, that I might lose. But the problem with fear, if we don't pay attention to what it's pointing us to is we, we think, well, I shouldn't do the thing, right. That I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm. And of course that keeps us stuck in the exact place that we started with. Right. Mm -hmm. We it the thing we were we were afraid of yeah. that makes sense so do you recommend using that example so for example when I feel fear I have realized I I just like look at it I actually talk to it like it's a person and I'll say oh I see you you're back fear yeah. but this is something I'm going to do because I've chosen you know the risk is worth it or whatever yeah telling me that I'm alive yeah. and you're gonna come with me like I actually like pretend like I'm gonna go give this speech and fear is just going to hang out with me, but I, I'm not going to let it block me. It's just going to come with me. I'm going to do this thing. So for, in this example, for conflict, are you saying that when you feel something like fear, which for some people probably is paralyzing, yeah. are you saying do the same thing? You just see it, you feel it. And then you say, this is just a sign that I'm carrying and it's okay. I'm still going to go into this conflict and being okay with fear. Or do you have something else you recommend processing yeah, I, I, I like the idea of listening to your fear, right? Because your fear is trying to tell you something. It is trying to communicate something to you about yourself. Emotions, I think of emotions just as internal messengers. Mm -hmm. right? my, my emotions are trying to alert me to something that I'm not paying attention to, something that matters to me or something that I might've missed. And my emotions do a really good job of refocusing my attention towards something that I need to. And fear, yeah, it's problematic if it becomes debilitating and we can't act, but it's not something that we're necessarily trying to get rid of, but to understand what it's trying to tell me. And sometimes what it's trying to tell me is have courage, right? Because I can't have courage without my fear. Or it might be telling me to act. It might be telling me to protect. Um, I, I, don't, I don't always know um, what my fear is trying to tell me. But if I pay attention to it, then I think I'm going to respond better 
than just being debilitated by it or trying to get rid of it because it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like we're getting, I'm really liking where we're going here with understanding how to take these kinds of things into a conflict. Do you recommend anything else? Can you give us more tips about if we're talking about our approach, kind of coming into conflict, you feel you're recognizing it, negative emotions. How do you not allow them to cloud though your ability to speak clearly and from a I like to think of it as from a clean space instead of from a like a place of baggage I don't know if that's the right way to look at it but Mm -hmm. for me if I like take the time ahead of time to be clean about my own emotions it helps me so can you help us more understand what you're meaning about changing our entire yeah I mean once you've once you've recognized that your conflicts weren't about what you thought they were about right once you start looking into the mirror and seeing that they are about really important needs and values and what you really care about, then there's still the aspect of like, well, how do I move through conflict differently than I have before? Now that I recognize I don't have to be avoiding it and it doesn't have to be negative, but then what do I do while I'm in it? And that's about being in process instead of focusing on how I make this conflict end. Mm. Sometimes that's, where we get stuck is we're like, how do we make this finish? How do I get over this? Let's solve it. Let's fix it. Let's make it stop. Right. Which makes sense when we feel really uncomfortable in it. But if we move our attention away from how to make this end or what is the outcome, then we start focusing on what does the present moment need? And that's what being in process is about paying attention to what the present moment needs. And that is the vocab process that I've laid out in my TED talk that you, uh, I think you'll probably leave that for your listeners. There's some information there, but it's an acronym that helps describe how you pay attention to where you get stuck in conflict and what the present moment is calling for to help you get unstuck. Vulnerability, ownership, communication process, acceptance work and boundaries. And at any given moment, wherever you get stuck in conflict, one of those aspects of process will help you get unstuck. Mm-hmm. For example, many people get stuck in blaming. Have you ever been there? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? Never- <laughs> <laughs> well, you are amazing because <laughs> I have been Just kidding. Stuck. Pretty much every time ever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we sometimes have favorite places to get stuck, right? Um, we've tried it again and again and again. And, and again, we're, tr- we're doing the best we can. Um, and this is what we see other people do. Like we learn how to do conflict from watching others. Mm-hmm. And we've picked up this idea that if we blame other people, then we get to feel like everybody else are the ones that need to change. And it doesn't work very well because if you're like me, when I blame somebody, though they don't have a tendency to be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. That that <laughs> you're correct. <laughs> I'm to blame here. I'm completely at fault. I will now change who I am so that <laughs> this never happens again. Like I just haven't seen it be very effective. Um, and also it it creates defensiveness within it or it, it creates counter blaming, we, we just get stuck. Mm-hmm. The ownership part of the vocab process 
helps us get unstuck from blaming. What's hard about it though, is it's counterintuitive. All the aspects of vocab are not the first thing that you think of when you're in conflict. The first thing you think of is blaming, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing you think of is not what are my emotions? What are my needs? What are my contributions? What are my boundaries? Like all the things that we need to take ownership for, if we're going to have any control over it or be responsive, it's not the first thing I want to do. But yet when I do, it unlocks the gifts that come from being in process. When I take ownership, I get the gift of feeling empowered. Because once I recognize, oh, these are my emotions and here's what I've done to kind of get where I am right now. Well, now I can see that I have some choices about which direction I wanna head from here. I can see, well, what I've been doing hasn't been working and this is what I think is important. So now I can make this different choice, but I, I can't do that until I take ownership first, mm -hmm. but it's hard because it's counterintuitive. It's like learning a whole new language. Mm. And if you've ever tried to learn a whole new language, it's not easy and it takes practice and you can't expect that you're going to be fluent at it the first time you hear about it. Like you can't go just watch my Ted talk and then suddenly all your conflicts will work beautifully because you're in process all the time. Like that would be great. But I came up with a theory and I've been working at it for years and I still can't do it all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's not my native language, but it works when I work at it. Mm hmm. And it unlocks these gifts that are beautiful. And it's what, it's what transforms conflict so that I'm not so fearful in my approach of it. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be beautiful. So that's just one example of how like you, you can pay attention to process and where you're stuck and how to get unstuck. I love that. I love everything you're saying applies to almost I mean, being in process, this is something we talk about on this podcast all the time. The concept of you're talking about just being present and not being so focused on the end result. And I mean, I think as we practice that in other areas of our lives, it's only going to help with conflict. So I love it because as you were speaking, I was just thinking how this applies to almost every aspect of our lives. Yeah. So it's a worthy practice. I think yeah, that that's an, actually a really important insight because sometimes when people, you know, learn about vocab or or this different approach to conflict, they're thinking about it in terms of, well, this is what I do in certain situations when I am in conflict. But vocab or being in process for me is not just for conflict. It's a way of being in the world, mm -hmm. right? Like for me, doing acceptance work is an everyday process. Not just when I'm, in a heated argument with my daughter, <laughs> yeah. right? It's, it's the way I want to be in the world and the way I want to approach things and make sense of things. Yes. Yeah. It's when you're cleaning out the chicken coop or yeah. doing dishes yep. or taking a bath, which is pleasant. Like I think yeah. in order to experience all of those fully, we have to learn to be in process. I really mm -hmm. like that term being yeah. in process. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. Um, because yeah, I can totally relate with just wanting it to be over. Like that's why I'm getting into the conflict because I just want it to be over. But if we, again, I think that's a good mindset shift for sure. Um, so yeah, for our listeners to know, uh, 
Claire's TED talk is called Beauty and Conflict, which I feel like is the perfect title for it because there are two things that we do not usually think go together. But uh, he definitely goes more in depth into kind of some of these things that we're talking about being in process. So it's a really good place to look. Um, I really want to move on to something a little bit different. Are we okay to kind of shift into something a little different? Um, Because something, Claire, that you told me that you're working on, which I am just in love with this idea, um, something you termed space making. So um, can you just tell us a little bit about this idea that you came up with? Like, what is it? Why is it important? Yeah. Um, so communication and conflict are obviously two things that are really important to me. And a lot of times when people take my classes or they're drawn towards learning more about how to communicate in their relationships or how to manage conflict, they're doing it because not only do they want to improve their own relationships and their life and the quality of their life, but they also are drawn towards being useful for other people. I I meet a lot of people that they value being helpful, right? That's part of how they identify or or something that they want to be in the world is of assistance to other people. And it is not uncommon for us when we are stuck in conflict to go to other people and talk about it, right? Not just the person we're in conflict with, And sometimes the conflict doesn't even feel like we're in it with another person. It sometimes feels like we're in it with ourselves. Because again, it's about reflecting something about what's important to us. And and sometimes our values come into tension with each other, Mm -hmm. right? Have you ever felt like a tension in a situation where it's like, I want two things that seem to be contradictory to each other. And I want them both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them is, is wrong, but it seems impossible for me to have both these things. For example, like I want closeness with another person, but I don't want to open up and be exposed and vulnerable. Like I wanna be safe and alone and by myself and autonomous, but also I wanna be connected with people. And we feel this tension and mm-hmm. it seems like paradoxical. I think we're all paradoxical. Um, And and so when people are in these situations, they often go to others because we have a hard time getting unstuck by ourselves. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you need to talk with someone else because you cannot quite get there on your own? You just go around and around in circles. You write about it, but you just can't quite get there. Yeah, absolutely. So we go to others and I think we understand it's important to do that, but yet oftentimes we do not know how to create a conversational space for other people to get unstuck. We in fact do things that make the situation worse. Have you ever gone to somebody with strong emotions, a really difficult situation, and you expressed it and then they, it made them uncomfortable and they tried to make you feel better about it. <laughs> like what I need right now is not to feel better about this. What I need right now is to get unstuck. I need somebody to listen. I need somebody that can ask me questions that I haven't thought of that will help me explore this because only I have the answers for what I'm going to do. 
and only I have to deal with the consequences of it. But we oftentimes go to people for that help and they don't know how to help us. And they do things out of the goodness of their heart and trying to help, but that actually make it worse. Like give us advice. I know that oftentimes we think that is the most helpful thing that we can do for other people is to give them advice when they have a problem. You ever watched that YouTube video with the woman that has a nail stuck in her head? Yeah. (laughs) And it's not about the nail, right? We have a tendency when someone comes to us and they're expressing a problem or strong emotions and we're like, oh my gosh, there's a nail in your head. I see it right (laughs) there. That's your problem. Let me pull it out for you right now, right? And they're like, it's not about the nail. I don't need you to fix this for me, right? (laughs) I just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. And so um, our, our attempts to pull out the nail for other people or fix them or give them advice just gets in the way because, and, and, and by the way, I get that some of your listeners right now may be like, wrong, you are wrong. <laughs> I, know that, I know that some people think that they are really helping others when they give advice, but here, here are a few things to consider with advice giving. Number one, I don't think anybody takes advice that they don't already agree with. Have you ever had somebody give you advice and you're like, well, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> you went ahead and did it anyway, we'll fix that, right? Like nobody actually takes advice that they don't already agree with, right? Number two, if you take somebody's advice and it doesn't go well, whose fault is it? It's really hard for me to take ownership for things and deal with the consequences if I can blame somebody else for it. I mean, we just talked about how that doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if I take somebody's advice and it does work, what have I learned? That I have to go to other people for the answers, that I can't find them within myself. And another thing that advice does is it sends the subtle message that I know better than you do. Even though it's your problem, you're the one that has the the values and what you're willing to do and not willing to do. I'm telling you, I know better than you do what is right for you. And I'm projecting my values onto you. And sometimes I'm telling you what I think you should do or what I think I would do or that I wish that I would do, but wouldn't actually do. And let's try it out on you. Like there are all sorts of ways in which our advice is about us and not about the other person. Mm-hmm. And it sends this message. It's, it's a condescension in some ways that we judge ourselves more capable than the person who is in the problem mm-hmm. of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that it's really useful to go to people for information? Yeah. But information is really different than advice. Advice sends those messages that I know better than you do. You're not capable. And it's really going to be hard for you to learn something, no matter how it turns out, if you can blame me for the successes or the failures. Mm-hmm. So what do we do if we're not going to just be giving advice to people, right? right. <laughs> uh, space making is about creating the type of conversational interaction that can help people to get unstuck. It can help them see themselves. It can help them understand what they value. It can help them make decisions. But it's a kind of conversational space that most people are not used to creating or used to being in. 
I need to know more. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know. I'm like I'm gonna, on the edge of my seat. I want to know. I'm just going to put this question out there, and you can work it in as you as you tell us more about how to make how to create this kind of space. Yeah. Um, I have a tendency to be an advice giver when people come to me. I mean, they come to me saying I want advice, yes. Right? Yes. and especially I mean, with our podcast. I mean, we have people all the time saying, "Help me with this situation that we've talked about." So. I, I know that that is my tendency. I have all sorts of things that I've read and that I've tried and I'm like, oh yeah, I tried this. Um, so help me. And again, I don't know if this is the best place or just as you explain space making. Um, but so when you are saying information is okay, advice is not as helpful. How can I become more of an information giver instead sure. of such a, because as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, there are a lot of times I can think of a conversation I just had this week where I, it was a full-blown advice. Like, I think you should do this. Yeah. And in my mind, it was great advice, but yeah. I hear what you're saying. And I even know that in my mind, but I don't think I've ever actually really put it into practice for a long period of time, but I would like to, so. Yeah, and it's good to realize that, that like you're doing the best that you can as well, I imagine, right? Like you've probably been taught to give advice because that's what you've received when you've gone to other people. Right. And there's also things that giving advice does for us. Like one of the things it does for us is makes us feel kind of wise and useful. And like, ah. I have, I have done this wonderful thing for you and now, right. You can appreciate me and I'm valuable because I did this thing. And what it also really does for us is helps us ignore our own stuff. Mm-hmm. All conflict is about us, including other people's. If other people come to us with our conflict, with their conflicts. Have you ever noticed how it brings up emotion within yourself mm-hmm. and you find yourself identifying with certain parties within the conflict and taking mm-hmm. sides and that type of thing? Mm-hmm. Well, other pe- watching other people in conflict brings up within us the stuff we still haven't figured out and resolved. Mm-hmm. It's our latent conflicts within, right? And if I can give you advice I get to ignore my conflicts, mm-hmm. right? Because now I'm like focused on yours and I, I'm not looking inward. I'm just kind of focused on this other thing. And then I get to play a hero. Mm-hmm. And that's a really satisfying thing for me because I get to avoid and ignore the stuff that, that I need to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the best example of this is, have you ever watched The Incredibles? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it's literally about superheroes. And Mr. Incredible loses, but he loses his, his license or whatever to be a superhero, right? <laughs> his mm-hmm. sanctioning by the government because he saved this man. It's actually kind of a dark movie. He saves this man that's about to jump off of a building. And the, the guy takes him to court because he hurts him as he's saving him, right? And in court, Mr. Incredible's like, I don't understand. I saved you. And he said, you, you didn't save my life. You ruined my death. Told you it's a little dark, right? <laughs> um, so Mr. Incredible loses his, his sanction or whatever, and he and his family have to go into protection, but they keep having to move. How come? Because he can't keep a job. He keeps breaking the rules, right? To like help people, save people, and it ends up having to keep moving his family around. And what does he do when he comes home from work? He goes bowling, but in fact, he's listening to the police scanner to go save people. Mm -hmm. And while he's doing that, what's happening at home? 
His daughter is having an identity crisis. His son's getting in trouble at school. His wife is begging him to engage, but he's off fixing, saving other people while ignoring his own problems. Mm. <laughs> right? And, and that's sometimes the payoff that we feel is we get to feel like we're playing a hero, but it's not heroic. We aren't paying attention to our own stuff and we're not actually fixing things for anybody else. We're making them reliant upon us. Mm. We're teaching them they have to be saved, that they are not capable of becoming their own hero. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I don't think this means we, we ignore others in their suffering and in their stuck places, but I don't think we help by pretending to save them and being heroic and giving them advice and, and doing those things that, that I don't think are actually helpful. Yes. Yeah. As you're saying that, I'm feeling a little bit of pricking in mm -hmm. my heart because with my kids, I can think of, I mean, just in the last month, so many times where I do the, I actually want to hear more about the creating space, but what, what I think you're going to say, like things like listening, I'm asking questions, I'm doing reflective things, yeah. helping them come to their own conclusions. And then there are a lot of times where I'm like, they're not coming to the conclusions that I want. Yeah. So then I say, you know, I think you should do, try just asking, try yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> so we, it's almost like I start making space and then I'm like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> Let me I just tell you what to do here. here. <laughs> That's such a good example with kids, right? Because we care about our children. We care about these humans that are in our care and we want so badly for them not to suffer because when they suffer, we suffer. Mm -hmm. And so what we sometimes do is instead of allowing a person to learn and grow and develop, because that is a process that, that we witness them suffering, right? Because how do you gain wisdom? By making mistakes, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And making choices and making mistakes and, and, and falling down and getting back up. But yet when we see our child going out into the cold without a coat and we know they're going to be cold, it makes us uncomfortable to imagine their suffering. And so we want to save them from it so that we save ourselves from it, right? So I'm going to make you put on this coat. But now what I have done is taken away your choice, taken away your ability to learn and grow for yourself as you go out into the cold and experience it. And you're like, wow, this is cold. Maybe I should put on a coat, right? <laughs> now, but yet that's hard for us to witness, but we cannot do for others what, what they are capable of doing for themselves. And that they need to do that for themselves in order to learn. But that is so hard for us to witness. Mm -hmm. But I'm willing to do some of that suffering if it means that the other person has the opportunity to grow. Because I think that's what real love is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely. agree. So yeah. tell us more what that looks like. And I agree a million percent on, I mean, I feel like in parenting 90% of the time I'm all about, yeah, wear the coat, even in a lot of interpersonal issues. Like if they come home with a thing from school, most of the time, I feel like they do come up with their own answers. If you simply allow them the space to do it and listen well, but there, I am guilty of many times being like, mm, you know what? This is a really easy solution. Can I just tell you what to do here? I see what's I going on here. <laughs> it's quicker. And it like, there's a lot of reasons why, why it's, it's so much easier to go the other route, right? Like making space for people is hard. Like doing 
these counterintuitive things are not easy. They take energy, they take time. Sometimes we don't feel capable of doing it. Mm -hmm. Like even, but the thing about living in process, as I said, is that I can see. And even when I can't do it, I know that I'm not doing it, right? It, for me, metaphorically, it's like erecting mirrors around myself, 360 degrees. So that wherever I look, what I'm really seeing is myself. Mm. And so even when I get stuck and I, I don't, I'm not in process, I can see myself and I can see what I'm doing and I know it's not working and I can try again. Yeah, that's beautiful. So can you tell us more then about sure. so how does this look? Because yeah. I'm, sure. I'm having ideas like, like reflective listening, like, you know, some communication yeah. tools, but I have a feeling you have a lot more than just reflective listening for us. Yeah. So if, if you imagine, I, I like this term space making because it, it, it also helps me visualize the idea of what it would take to create a space. So if you wanted to, to erect a space that is different from other spaces, right? What would you need to start that building with? Where would you begin? If you want to build a building or a space, what do you need first? Foundation. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you see is particularly important about a foundation? What happens if you don't have one? The building is not secure. Okay. It's not secure, not stable. It can't, it can't withstand earthquakes. Withstand pressures. Yeah. All of those are, are key. Like I've seen the effects of a weak foundation or a lack of a foundation. Things fall down. Leaning Tower of Pisa, I don't think that was their idea, right? I, I don't think it, they actually wanted leaning. <laughs> you want a foundation that's going to keep the structure intact. And the further up you go with it, the more weight that it needs to be able to withstand, right? And there are a lot of different levels of space making, but it has to begin with a really strong foundation. So one of the foundations of space making is a belief in the possibility of change. If you don't actually believe that people are capable of changing or that we have the capacity to change, then you can't really make space. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a foundational element of it. And I believe in that. And I believe not in circumstantial or for, have you ever heard the term first versus second order change? No. So first order change is about changing circumstances. I imagine you found yourself in situations before that you didn't like that you wanted to change. Have you ever been maybe like at a job that you hated or, yeah. okay, nodding head. So Caitlin, what did you hate about your job? Well, one job that I'm thinking of in particular was it was very monotonous. Mm, monotonous. Uh, and I felt like what I was doing, like, wasn't making a difference in the world. Like I was just like filing things. This was like, right after I graduated high school, it was a summer job. I was grateful for the job, but it was boring as heck. And that was one of the reasons why I really didn't like the job. Yeah. Yeah. Many of us have had situations like that, or we don't like our boss or we don't like our coworkers or there, there's something about it or, or we're in a relationship and it doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. We're fighting all the time and we don't know how to deal with that. Or mm -hmm. we don't feel good with the other person. So what do we do intuitively to change that? 
quit the job and the relationship, right? Have you ever found yourself though, repeating that same type of problem again and again? Like have you, have you ever had a pattern of relationships where you almost wonder why do I keep ending up with the same kind of person? <laughs> why do I keep having the same problem? Because we pick up our problems and carry them with us. Yeah. First order change is just shuffling the deck. It's changing the circumstances that we're in. Second order change is about changing the systemic problems that are there. We change our relationship to the system. It's the kind of change that changes everything. And it's a change that we actually do oftentimes within ourselves. And we have the capacity to do something about that. Circumstances, sometimes we have no control over whatsoever. Like I can't change the weather. I can't change other people. There is so much about this world I cannot change, but I can change the way that I relate to it. Mm -hmm. And that is a second order change. Mm -hmm. I believe in that kind of change is possible. And that is one of the foundations that space making is built on. It's also built on a belief in self-determination. I don't think that I get to choose for anybody else what they should do or what they should value. But yet advice giving often does that, doesn't it? Like we're not really valuing other people's right to choose. And I believe that's a right and in its ability. I think all of us have the ability to choose for ourselves and that we have an inner teacher or soul or intuition or however you want to describe or think about that. I think within us, we have a wisdom that we can decide what will be best for us, but things get in the way of our capacity to do it. Mm -hmm. But I believe it's a, a right for everyone to do it. Um, so self-determination, uh, the belief in the capacity for change. Third, I believe in human dignity. I think everybody has value just in the fact that they are a part of humanity. And I believe in protecting and honoring other people's dignity. That's a foundation of that space. Fourth, safety, that we do not cause harm, that we do nonviolence, and that we make spaces that are safe for people. Mm -hmm. And finally, it's driven by an ethic of care. Think that benevolence is a virtue and that our, our relationships with other people can help us to understand like what, what right behavior looks like when we are attentive and responsible to them and caring. That is the foundation. That's, that's what I commit to every time I make space. And that's important because there are all sorts of things that will threaten that structure. And if I don't have a strong foundation of those beliefs, it'll collapse on itself. Mm -hmm. I'm loving yeah. this foundation. It's beautiful. So we have belief in the capacity to change, belief in self-determination. Mm -hmm. Everyone has dignity, safety, mm -hmm. so don't cause harm, and ethic of care meaning we're choosing benevolence. Yeah. And, and what that ends up doing when you have a foundation, it gives you a place to erect some walls. You know, that structure can now take shape. And what a structure does is it keeps certain things out and allows certain things in. And that's what a boundary does. 
a wall or a boundary keeps certain things out and allows certain things in. And here are some things that you keep out. Judgment. You don't get to judge people when you make space. And that is not an easy thing for us to do. And it's so frequently how we get in the, in the way of other people's determining for themselves or their sense of dignity is because we spend time judging others. Here's where you went wrong. I have known where I go wrong for a long time since I was a child, right? Like we all have to learn at some point mm -hmm. what is right, what is wrong. And then we start to determine for ourselves, we don't need external judges or moral compasses for us as long as we aren't a sociopath, right? right. Now, <laughs> and most of us, uh, particularly I'm guessing people listening to your podcast uh, probably are not sociopaths, right? They're capable of recognizing that, that, that people are separate from them and, and that we have the capacity for empathy and things, but judgment, man, that really gets in the way, doesn't it? Totally. Have you ever gone to someone and felt judged? Mm -hmm. What does it do to you? Shuts you down. Yeah. Yeah. Closes you. yeah. So mm -hmm. one of the walls or the, the things that we keep out is judgment. No advice, no fixing, no saving. And that includes, we don't save people from their emotions. I value people's strong emotions, but yet people have learned that they cannot express them to others. I see people cry a lot, right? <laughs> because people come and they talk to me about their conflicts and things that they're, it, it kind of naturally happens, right? Because I teach a lot of people and they're like, well, what about this? And of course, strong emotions because it's, all their conflicts are tied to what they value. And I see tears on a regular basis. Do you know what 99% of people do the moment they start to cry in front of me? Apologize. Immediately. They immediately begin to apologize. I'm sorry. What is that telling me? That's telling me that they believe it's inappropriate and that you cannot express deep emotion in front of another person. Mm -hmm. Because for most people, it makes them uncomfortable. And when it makes them uncomfortable, they try and fix their emotion. Oh, it'll be okay. Calm down. Let's distract you. Don't feel that way. We start sympathizing instead of empathizing, right? And so I'm trying to move you out of your emotions. And that is not allowing you to learn something from them mm -hmm. and figure out why they're there and, and what you care about. And that's what this space is designed to do. So I don't get to push people out of their emotions. I just get to witness them. Mm. Oh, Claire, this is, we talk about this all the time with, I mean, this starts when kids are babies. Yes. We hear a baby cry, we hear a toddler crying and our instinct is to, what can I do to stop you crying? But something magical happens. Something, I mean, it's truly magical when you simply realize that I can allow them to express emotion with yeah. no need to stop it. It can just come out. It's magical. It releases you and it releases them. It's incredible. So yeah. Oh, I'm loving this. Like you're speaking my language here. I'm loving, loving, loving it. And just being that, present. Yeah. Is such yeah. a gift. And that's what you're doing for the other person is you're just witnessing for them. You're being present for them. You're holding the space for them. that mm -hmm. keeps out all of these things that, that make it difficult for them to get unstuck or to choose for themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm holding out judgment. I'm holding out right, that desire to fix or save you. 
-hmm. or give you advice. And I'm giving you a space where you can exist and be fully present with whatever you're experiencing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And to explore it. One of the, the boundaries is if you can't give advice, well, what can you do? You can ask really good, open, honest questions. And it is one of the skills I value more than almost anything else. Because when I ask a good, open, honest question, it allows a person to look inwards. So much of what we do when we ask questions of other people is for our own curiosity. Tell me the things that I want to know, or we're trying to gather details so that we can see the picture and give them advice and fix yep. it. Right? Mm -hmm. Those aren't questions that help a person look inwards. They're always giving back to the, to the other person. I want a space where they're not focused on me and I'm not getting in their way. They're just able to look inwards and find their answers mm -hmm. and what's important to them. So I'll ask a question that is open, no, no yeses or nos, <laughs> right? No, did you feel this? But letting them explore something. And also it's honest. I don't expect to know the answer. I don't have any agenda behind it. It's just for you to explore. Hmm. What's that you, like for you? Okay. That was my question. Oh, Can you give us some examples? Yeah. What's that like for you? Okay. What's that like for you? Um, what can you control and what can't you control? Talk more about that. A lot of open, honest questions are just feeding back to a person their own language because we, when we're stuck in a place, we talk around it and we keep describing it and we use words that are important, but that we don't always fully understand why. And so I'll hear a person repeating words and I'll just say, I noticed you, that you said um, happiness four, four times. Talk more about that. What does happiness look like to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I feel stuck. Describe that. And these questions help a person not give me answers to appease my curiosity, but rather to look inside themselves and find their own answers. Mm. Can I add something to this? Because I feel like something that I loved about being in your class and that I've loved about hearing you since is the one, one of the activities that you had us do was called the clearness committee. Yes. which was really cool. And one of the cool things about it, just for our listeners, is that the idea behind it is we were in a group of four random people in our class that we really didn't know. And then we each like took turns. Like we, was it an hour, hour and a half? Two hours. Two hours. Okay. <laughs> so like one of us would go, like we would have like a room and we would just talk about a conflict that we had. And the only job of the other people was simply just to ask open, honest questions. There was no like anything else. All you could do is ask questions for two hours. And the interesting thing about it, number one is being, being the person who was talking about a conflict is that it does, it opens up like all of these avenues that you haven't really had the space to go through. Yeah. And as the people asking the questions, you realize you don't, there actually is, you don't need to give advice mm -hmm. or like it really, if you just allow that time, because we had a really ample amount of time. And again, allowing that space of just, just thinking, I think that was a cool exercise. Cause it's like, 
all you're doing is just thinking of what questions you can ask yeah. and it's just for them. Like you have no, no part in it. And I think mm-hmm. there is, you've said this before and I love, I love this example. Like you're giving someone a gift and I love thinking of it that, as it of that way because so many people need this, like they need this gift and we're starving for it. I think you mentioned that before. And I love that idea. We all need this space. And those questions and open honest questions are a way that we can help people have it. Yeah. Have you ever watched the the Sixth Sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the the big reveal, uh, skip past this if you haven't watched it. The big reveal is, right, that this kid can see dead people. And when when I started to explore conflict and understand some of these things, I started to see conflict differently. And I can see dead people, right? I, I look around and I see people hungering for these spaces in their life, mm-hmm. a place where they can go, where they aren't judged, where they can just be witnessed and understood, where they can explore for themselves and figure things out. And we just don't have many places to go. And we all have the capacity to give that gift. And I really think people are hungering for it. Mm-hmm. I love it because you're really releasing both people, the person listening, because if you're not worried about giving advice and solving it for them, you are actually releasing yourselves to yes, be a true listener, which is mm-hmm. amazing. And you're also releasing the other person to be in control of their own yeah. life. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that want to be helpers, as you mentioned, and, and they're frequent advice givers that feel really weighed down by other people's problems. And th- and this is one of the reasons why we sometimes don't go to people is because our experience is people will describe it as, well, I don't want to burden you with this. Mm-hmm. And I frequently have people say, I'm sorry for burdening you with this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not a burden because it's not mine to own. Mm-hmm. I'm not carrying it. When you described your conflict as being squished and feeling heavy, when I carry things that are not mine and I cannot do anything with them, right? Because what can you do to fix another person's problem? Nothing. Yeah. And if you want to carry it, it's just like sticking a rock in your backpack. Mm -hmm. One time I was hiking with my daughters and I got done and I found that she had collected a bunch of rocks and stuck them in my backpack. (laughs) Like I, I really don't need that extra weight when I'm trying to walk my path. And I actually cannot do anything to fix another person. And if I try, all I'm doing is just adding rocks to my pack and carrying it around with me. And when I've taught people to make space, they describe it as a weight lifting off them because they're doing something that's really helpful, but they're not burdening themselves with things that they can't control. Mm-hmm. like other people's emotions or the, the consequences of their actions. You, you can't do anything with those. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have kind of a follow-up question because obviously we've talked about these ways that we can create space for people yeah. by asking questions, not bringing judgment in, let it be just being present with them and their emotions and letting them be. I think those are all so powerful. And I know that you've mentioned before, like a big aspect of this creating space, space making is being able to give feedback, but that's not to be mistaken with advice. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? Yeah, I consider that one of those upper levels of space making because 
uh, it takes some work just to do some of the basics, right? To stay present with another person, to listen really attentively, to ask good, open, honest questions. These are skills that, that take some work. And those are kind of the foundational level. But space also has the capacity at higher levels to give people feedback. And uh, the reason why I'm, I'm careful about talking about this is because many of the things that I teach are misunderstood, right? There are all sorts of myths and preconceived ideas of what something means that we carry around with us that are just not necessarily true at all. And so when I use a word, sometimes I first have to reclaim it from what people think it is. And feedback is not criticism. People oftentimes think feedback is constructive criticism. There's nothing constructive about criticism. Criticism is attacking a person's character, right? And, and feedback is not the cookie method where we say something nice and then stick in the thing that we think they should change and then say something else nice so that, you know, that they'll maybe eat that yucky sandwich <laughs> that we've offered to them. Like, this is how oftentimes people think about feedback is this is my chance to tell you what is wrong with you. And that is not how I see feedback at all, right? Feedback is our ability to help other people see themselves. And, and this is important because all of us have blind spots. Mm -hmm. There are things about our behavior and the way that we are in the world that we just cannot see because our eyes focus outwards. Like right now, I can't see anything but kind of like the outline of my nose because mm -hmm. it sticks out there <laughs> a bit, right? And so I can see that if I really focus, but the rest of my face can't see it. What do I need? A mirror. And other people can be my mirror. But a lot of times I cannot see myself because they distort it with their own stuff. Have you ever had somebody give you feedback that's really, right, their grievances wrapped up in like <laughs> a package to give to us? Here's what you should change about yourself. Well, we can be a good mirror for other people to see themselves but only if we get out of the way and we don't distort things for them. So to give you good feedback, I need to mirror back to you things that you can't see. And I need to do it from that place of an ethic of care, right? Of human dignity, yeah. of safety. So many times we can't take people's feedback because they give it to us in a way that just hurts us. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of the term brutal honesty? Mm -hmm. Yes. Why do we think we have to choose between kindness and care and honest authenticity? Mm. I don't believe that honesty has to be brutal. Like we're clubbing someone over the head with it, right? Yeah. Here's your honesty, right? As I, as I beat you about the head and shoulders. I think we can honestly help people see themselves in a way that is caring and not unkind. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes real practice and skill to do that, to get ourselves out of the way mm -hmm. and not cloud and distort that mirror that we're trying to hold up for the other person. But if you don't help me see myself, I can never align my intent with my actions because sometimes I have really good intent, but the things that I do impact people in a way that 
they don't like or that I wouldn't want to have happen. Mm-hmm. If they can't not, if they can't allow me to see that, if they can't mirror that back to me, then I'll never be able to bring those things into alignment so that my impact and my intention are the same. This is blowing my mind because I feel like for most of us, at least for me in my own life, I can, it's easy for me to make space as you're describing it for people who aren't super close to me, Mm -hmm. but the closer they are to me, the more their actions affect me. And therefore I'm much more invested in them either changing their, you know, changing Mm -hmm. what they're doing. And so it's a lot, it's a lot harder for me. But as I say that, I also realize that those are the relationships that are the most important to me, that I should be doing the most space making. And so can you just give us a little example? I, I, I hear intellectually what you're saying, but I'm having a difficulty under, and I know this is high level stuff. So it's, it's, we probably need a whole course on this, but can you just like, let's go to the Incredibles example with the wife and the husband. So if the wife were in that situation to try to give feedback as you define it to her husband, who is out listening to the radio scanners to save people, but it's not working for him or for his family. How would that, like, how would giving feedback as you say it to him or you can think of another example but i'm just wondering how does this look like how does yeah. that how does giving feedback as you're describing it actually look in real life not as because i've tried the cookie thing yeah and it's it's not yeah <laughs> i've received the cookie method before and i think i think i would i would really love an example of what your kind of feedback looks like yeah so i noticed as you were as you were talking the way i made sense of it was that there was like a lot of animation in in your expression both non-verbally with your hands and also I could I could kind of see you looking off and and to me the way I made sense of that is that there's something about this that's really important to you but yet you you don't yet feel confident that you could do it okay yes that's a good example of the feed of feedback like asking those questions and like maybe mirroring back what you saw and what you observed and you're kind of like seeing if that was right is that is that right? Yep. So like asking those kinds of questions and then maybe seeing, so like you're using, you've made this space, you're using these questions and then maybe giving, so like saying things like, I noticed you seemed really excited or animated, or if it's, you know, maybe this person's in a con- conflicted situation, be mm-hmm. something like, I noticed that you, you seemed really like upset when you started talking about this. Can you tell me yeah. like, is that so some-, some of what I, so, some of what I did is mirrored back what I saw that you might not have been aware of, right? Like I saw some things in you that you may be aware of, but you might not be like, I sensed something was really important to you about this. Right. And I'm also filtering it through my experiences with you. Now, even though we haven't known each other for a really long time, you know, it's been little over an hour now, <laughs> I have been able to observe you. And, and so I, I make sense of what I'm seeing, right? It gets filtered through my experiences of you. And then I can tell you how I have experienced you, the mm-hmm. stories I'm telling myself or how I make sense. And I don't get to proclaim that that's your truth mm-hmm. or that that's what you are, but you do get to see, oh, this is how this person has experienced me. This mm. is how they make sense of the things that they witness in me. Mm. These are the things that they notice that I might not have seen. And then I give that gift to you 
and you can do with it as you want. I do not expect you to change. I do not expect you to have an answer. I don't, I have no expectations because it's a gift I'm giving to you because I value your ability to choose. I believe in your human dignity, right? I care. I'm not going to do things to harm you. And I believe that with that information, if you choose to change something, that you can. It's going to sound weird, but it actually kind of made me want to cry. <laughs> when you observe those things about me, even though you didn't do it, I mean, that's short, but it kind of being seen makes you kind of want to, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a gift. It's a gift. Okay. So you're not even talking about, so what you just did with me, you're not talking about, I'm thinking still of feedback as kind of, like okay. Advice. So an example. <laughs> My, my daughter in my home, I'm really a big fan of not labeling people. So I don't mind if my, if my daughter says to my son, that really bothers me. Can you stop doing it? I'm okay with her saying that. But when she says you're stupid, Mm. then I'm like, hold on, we're doing labels here. And I, you know, like, I'll and I usually try to like say for in this example, talk to Ron and I'm like, it's really important for me when you were four, I never called you stupid. And it's really important for me that I, that he does not think he's stupid. So what's another way that we can, when he, you know, eats your candy, what's a way that you can still honor your feelings, but not give him a label that's going to like stick to him. So, okay. So this is an example. It seems like some feedback is warranted. However, is it not like what, how would feedback in that situation? Feedback is different than boundary settings. Like what, one of the things I hear you talking about there is that there's, it's important for your daughter to be able to express her boundaries. Boundaries aren't necessarily the same thing as feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can let people know, look, to be in relationship with me, here's what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with. Mm -hmm. When you do this thing, I don't feel good. It doesn't make me feel safe. I don't like it, right? I would ask that you not do that thing. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily just feedback. That's setting a clear boundary Mm -hmm. of who I am, right? Good distinction. Yeah. And, and, and so it, it can be confusing if we conflate those two things, right? That anytime I set a boundary and that I'm giving it as feedback where you just get to choose how you make sense of it. No, there are, there are conversations where I need to be able to express who I am and what I care about. That's mm-hmm. part of being in process, right? It's the B of vocab. Here is what I like and don't like. Right. And that's a different thing than, than feedback. Mm. And as parents, we're setting boundaries all the time. So, yeah. okay. That makes sense to me. Okay. I think I'm still unclear about, so you're saying then feedback is just what you did to me. It's more, it's really more space making. It's, it's, it's something level. that can exist within the space that I make for you. Right? Mm. And, and I really value it in that space because it, it's a, it's a place where it can potentially be received and understood and made sense of and used. Whereas the way that we typically think about feedback probably does not do what we actually want it to do. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Feedback is not control. Feedback Hmm. is not my attempt to control your behavior. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Feedback is to offer a gift for you. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like how I'm understanding this is like the example that Terilyn gave. That's like a situation with where, with our kids, there's conflict going on either between siblings, maybe it's with us and them. 
And that might be more of like the communication conflict. We might be trying to figure out the best way to set boundaries, help our kids take ownership of things, maybe things like that. Whereas like a distinction between that and kind of what we're talking about with space making is more when someone has a conflict, they, we can create a space for them to be able to see themselves clearly and Mm -hmm. hopefully see their conflict clearly and hopefully in a way help them come to a better place. And we are using those, some of those ideas and uh, I don't know if technique tools to again, like make that space for whether it's our kids in a situation coming to us with a conflict or our spouse or a friend rather than, but that feedback isn't necessarily again saying, this is what I think you should do with it. It's more us kind of observing them as who they are, like witnessing who they are and maybe helping them see themselves with no strings attached. Is that like, am I understanding that? Yeah. Conflict and space making, right. When I'm in conflict, it, it, looks really different, doesn't it? Than when I'm making space for somebody else. And so it, it is good to make a distinction between those two things. Hmm. Um, I'm oftentimes making space for other people who are in conflict, but not necessarily something I'm doing when I'm in conflict with another person. Hmm. Is that is that kind of what you were? Yeah, yeah, that is kind of what I was thinking. So yeah. so then how does this relate when you're when you're asking somebody for something? So Let's go back to the Incredibles example. Yeah, I don't know if you consider her in conflict or him in conflict, but if she's going to, oh, him they're all, they're all, they're all, and saying, <laughs> "I would like more of you here yeah. with us." That's yeah. that's her Engage. request. It's a request, right? You can't control anybody else, but her request is, "I would like you home with me for dinner." Let's yes. just say in the Incredibles, that's what she's wanting. How right. does that look in this space making conflict resolution situation? Yeah. So would she's in conflict, right? So it's going to be different. It's going to be different than just making space for him. Now she could, right? But I would suspect this is something she wants to have a conversation. We're talking here about being in process and being in conflict and vocab, right? So it might start with some ownership of, you know, it's this relationship is important to me. I know that I value it. And I've been feeling disconnected from you. I've been feeling angry and hurt because what I've experienced with you is, is distance. And I don't know what's going on for you exactly, but I know that I don't feel the closeness with you that I desire. And that would be some ownership work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also accepting that, right? And there might also be some boundaries. Um, you know, what I would request of you, what I really need is some, I probably need some reassurance of like where you're at, what's important to you. I'd like to know. Um, I don't know how to make sense of what's going on when you are always off bowling. And I, I don't know what to do here but I would request, I I would like to talk about it. I would like to have time to talk about this, to explore it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, That might be a start. Is that what you're asking? Like, how would we maybe start this conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my question. Cause I feel like a lot of what we've talked about so far is when somebody comes to you with a problem, this is making a lot of sense to me, Mm -hmm. how to make space for that person. 
but yeah, what is what do you do when you're the one with the problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is going back to being in process and vocab. And, and you can see there's a lot of vulnerability there, owning what is important to you and, and your boundaries. And there's some acceptance of like, I'm not trying to control you. I can't do that, right? Mm. Um, and I don't know what you're thinking or feeling. Mm. Using communication to ask and listen. Mm-hmm. And this would also apply to what I was telling you about my daughter. So, you know, we, we can talk about setting boundaries with her brother, but it's also me setting a boundary of in my, in my home, in our home, this is an important thing for me. And there is a request along with that, right? I request mm-hmm. you that we don't use those kind of labeling words yeah. for these reasons, yeah. but with love and with all those kinds of things. So yeah. I'm, we're using requests. It's not control. It's request boundaries. Okay. I like that. Yeah. And I think what's cool about some of the things that we've talked about is there's definitely a place for how we are approaching conflict with our children, with our, with our parents, with our spouses, whatever. And I think approaching it from that, what we talked about at the beginning, approaching it from a space where we're not, we're kind of looking at ourselves and how we're approaching conflict and all that stuff we talked about. But then also seeing that I think in our families and out like with our friends, I think it's really cool because I think as parents to know some of these things with space making, because how often are our kids or our spouses going through conflicts that they can't make sense of on their own? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we don't know where to go from there and how to best help them. And I think this space making idea, being a space maker is a gift that we can give our children or our spouses that I think, as you said, people are hungry for. And if everyone could be a little bit better at just making space for other people, I think the world would be a better place because I think everybody needs it. So I think if we can start it in our own homes, just be able to think about these tools and think about taking a step back rather than wanting to jump in and maybe give advice or solve it or judge, even if it's not judging them, judging the other person in the conflict. I think there's huge gifts that we can give our loved ones in this. Yeah. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, Tara Lynn, can I give you a little bit more feedback? Please. So one of the things I was noticing as we, you know, started exploring this idea of space making and and conflict is you started to go to specific examples and asking questions. And and to me, it looked a lot like we were talking about how learning a new language. It looked to me like you were you were jumping in and like, I want to talk like this. <laughs> like the way I experienced it is like you were, you were moving forward, trying to grasp some language, make sense of it. And like, you want to be able to use this right away. Um, and that there might even be some anticipation of like, uh, I want to do this now and I'm not sure that I can or how to make sense of it. So like, but I want to be able to speak right now. Yes, <laughs> that would be accurate. So what does that, what does that tell you about yourself? Well, I think it says a few things. One, that this kind of stuff lights my fire. Two, people are my passion. And so this is, I feel like something that is just another amazing way that's going to allow me to connect with others. So I think it shows me my priorities that I love. Really, I love people. That's my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. Mm, thank you, Claire. Yeah, okay, I love that. 
It's been awesome. And I feel like we could talk about this like oh so much longer, I honestly. Have, I have one more question. Yes. Oh my gosh, please do. Please do. <laughs> we could go on for a while. So yeah. I am going to, well, yeah, I can keep this one short. First of all, I need to like print off these five foundational, um, what do you call them? Foundational ideas that you base your space yeah. on? Values or, or the foundations or principles that it's built on. Okay. I love that. Cause I honestly think if you take this into every situation, if I could take this into every situation in my life, it's going to make everything it's, I mean, it's only going to improve. Um, but my, my question for you is about information giving, which we did mention at the beginning, you mentioned the very beginning. So in our line of work and in, I mean, like I'm a yoga instructor, so I, I have people coming and before I had kids, I was an English professor. So like giving people information is one of my passions yeah. also, and people ask me questions. So um, for example, if somebody says our most common question that we get with our podcast is, well, there's two equally, but probably the most common is my three-year-old at the park is hitting other children. Right. Yeah. And for us with the method of like respectful parenting method that we use, there's some really simple, they're tools. They're so, and they're easy. And it's the same answer every time we recommend that you try this. So it's, it is advice or information giving. I'm not sure, but if somebody is coming to you with an actual question and they want the information that you have, or in yoga, if somebody says I'm having this problem, what information, like, and they say, what advice can you give me to help with this part of my body? How can you give information without it crossing over into that judgmental space yeah. and control space of advice? Yeah, I mean, that's part of why we, we talked first about the principles or the foundation, right? Because if we just talk about what it looks like, we sometimes, we miss the mark. But if we start with what, from the place that it's built upon the principle or the foundation, then we can be more confident that it is in alignment with that, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, if you believe in the idea of self-determination and that is a principle that you're building on, what will happen when somebody comes to you and they say, tell me what to do? Well, you probably ask questions before you just jump into giving. Yeah, because the, the first thing we would have to do and, and to recognize their human dignity is to recognize that like, I don't know what they're thinking or feeling and I don't know what's important to them. So I might ask like, what, what brings you to ask that question? What's important to you? Mm -hmm. Where are you stuck? Why is this important, right? First, they would have to identify for themselves what they value. And I would have to witness that and see it. And then there may come a point where they say like, I know this is what I want, but I don't know how to do it. And there may be moments where I can, I can re relate to what it's like to be stuck in that place. And space may call for me to offer information that may allow them to, to make choices for themselves. But never can I offer it with an expectation of, I believe this is what you should do. And I want you to do that thing, right? Because then I'm no longer built upon self-determination and human dignity and, and those things that we talked about as principles, right? But if I am built on them, then I could say, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of years trying to figure out how to get unstuck from conflict too. I have, I've lived that. And I have found for me that being in process makes all the difference. Seeing conflict differently makes all the difference for me. 
And I've done that by doing this. And I've shared myself and my stories and my experiences and what I've learned with other people. And if it resonates with them and they can make a choice that is true to them with it, wonderful. But if it's a gift that does not speak to them, that's also wonderful that you allowed me to, to share and give it to you. But I will not break free from that principle of you get to decide. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that makes a real clear distinction between when I am sharing myself and information and things that I share myself with people, right? Mm-hmm. But I do not say, here's who you must be and how you must live. And the way that you should use this information is this. Yes. I don't get to do that mm-hmm. or the structure crumbles. That is such a beautiful, I'm picturing the metaphor of you give, when you're giving information, you give with no expectation of what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because you've given them the dignity of keeping it for them. That's their life. Whereas advice, there is that aspect of control. I'm giving you this information because I want you to do this with it. Yeah. And I think and it I've is invited best. you into this space and I'm making this space and holding it for you for as long as you want it and you can leave anytime you want. And I don't expect anything, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I just made this space for you and it's a gift, but you don't have to come into it and you don't have to do anything in there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to answer my questions. You don't have to do anything, right? I'm not trying to control you. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I believe in your human dignity. So it sounds like, and I would just want to make sure I'm getting this because I I'm loving it. And I want to make sure I'm like on the same page so I can actually do it. Cause it sounds like what you're saying is the like information giving comes when we come from a place where we are thinking about it. I like thinking about it as giving a gift. We are coming at it from a place where we've maybe asked some questions so that we understand them better. We understand where their motives are, what they're thinking and then maybe there is a place where we feel like we have some information that could be valuable, but we give it with the no strings attached yeah. and just give it as a gift and let them do what they want with it. But that is like the difference. It sounds like that's kind of the distinction between the advice and the yeah, information. I mean, I would hope that throughout our conversation, it has never felt like I was coming from a place where I was judging either one of you yeah. or that I had expectations of of how you should think or feel about these things. But I have offered, I have offered things to you. I've shared a lot of myself. I've shared some information that, right. I, I haven't been like, oh yes, they like it. And so that's good. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm glad and, oh, but they, they don't understand how they need to do this thing. So I better push that a little bit harder. No, I hope that it has come across as a gift and that I have, provided information without any strings attached and and that I value your choice and your human dignity as much as I say that I do. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have felt yes, like that. I have too. And I think it really is a gift. I just, I think that's like really resonating with me. I think that's why I keep repeating because I love that idea that we are giving people a gift mm-hmm. and we're giving ourselves a gift when we kind of allow ourselves to do some of these things, which I think is And the beautiful thing about connecting with anybody, I actually think this is why so much of our life's value comes from connection with other human beings is because as we connect with other people, it does change our lens. I'm not going to say more than experience because experience does as well. Everything we experience in life changes our lens, but just the conversation that we've had, I feel like 
has changed my lens about conflict in the squeeze. Like I can actually picture myself <laughs> in my last situation that I was feeling the squeeze and I can already feel the squeeze less. So it's just, um, it's fascinating to me how I think true connection is so important. And it's, I mean, magical is a strong word, but it's I think it, it is, it can really change our perspective. So it's just, it's almost like trying on, like it's, it's yeah. trying on a different way of looking at it. And by trying on the, our different lenses it actually does change our physiology like i i look forward to perhaps approaching conflict with a little less of a squeeze in my heart before yeah yeah so i I believe that possibility i believe in the possibility of people's metaphors changing and the way they think and feel about conflict changing because i've experienced it myself and i've witnessed other people experiencing it and it is not easy right like this is not a life hack, five easy tips to make it all better, right? Like this is a different way of being in the world. It is a different language that you're learning and it is hard, but magical is a good word to describe what it's like to have your world changed. Well, thank you, Claire. Yes, thank you so much for being on with us. And um, I, because we are coming to a close, we always, I wanted to end with the question that we always ask everyone we interview. And that is, what is one life-changing habit that helps you find the magic in your everyday life? And we've been talking about it the whole time. (laughs) Um, Living in process and trying to commit and be true to that, to be a person that lives from a place of vulnerability and ownership and authenticity and and to communicate differently, to live in acceptance, to, to set back, to, to try to live in process to me has unlocked the magic of every day. And I can't always do it. And it's really hard, <laughs> um, but I can see how different my life is as a result. That's so beautiful. Magic is always in the present moment and you can't be in the present moment unless you're in process. I just love that term. Yeah, so that's a good. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And tell us where, so for those of you, we've talked about the Ted talk, we'll put that in our, on our website, in our email. Um, tell us if people want to learn more and learn more about you, how can they do that? Great. Um, you know, I don't have a huge online presence. I'm working on that. Uh, there are a lot of things I'm working on. And so I, I would like people to be able to stay up to date with that. I have an Instagram, I think it's collaborative conflict, I believe is the, the tag. I have a consulting practice, canfieldconsulting.net. Um, you, I'm starting a center for collaborative conflict at USU. And so we're going to be doing a lot of things there with with outreach, I want to start doing some community uh, workshops and, and teaching some of these things. I'm helping to train space makers uh, as a resource for students at USU, mm-hmm. uh, peer conflict coaches, space makers. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm doing. And so love to have you just follow along where you can and we'll, we'll try to update you as, as things develop. But you can find me at a couple of places. Well, thank you. I, that like gets me excited. I, when we were talking previously, I just get like so excited to think that so many people, I don't know, just be, are going to be able to like learn some of these tools that have been so helpful in my life. And just this time to be able to talk with you. I'm so excited for our listeners to be able to try some of these things and hopefully be able to see a great, a great difference in their life. So thank you again for being on with us. Thank you for having me. Hey, let's find the magic. 
cows. 